0: Father God, as we enter into this, uh, this new season, the season of Lent, um, what we just sang, it's our prayer, that um, you would just wake us up, make us fully awake, fully alert to what you are offering us, uh, what's available to us through a relationship with you, that you would keep us from settling for all the other things in life that we settle for, even, even for a nicely religious life, that you'd keep us from settling for that, that you'd wake us up To to hunger and thirst for the deeper things. And Father, begin that in us tonight. We pray it in Jesus. Amen. Now, I know today is Valentine's Day. Hopefully you knew that. Um, And I'm not just telling you. Um, And it's all sweet and sentimental. But I'd rather talk about something a little more manly, a little more masculine. I'd rather talk about fire. Uh, Specifically, do you know that 2017 was a really bad year. I think you probably do. A really bad year for wildfires. Anyone heard something about that? Yeah, 66, over 66,000 wildfires in 2017, which sounds like a lot, but that's actually just a little bit more than average. What's crazy is that in those 66,000 wildfires, 10 million acres were consumed. That's double over what happened the year before. Um, at the end of the year, especially last quarter of the, the year, we saw all those fires in California, uh, those northern uh, California, eight counties that were just ravaged. The losses were catastrophic uh, in life and property and, and all the rest. And then um, in December, there was the Thomas Fire, which was the largest, most uh, destructive wildfire in all of California history. And uh, the, the cost of these fires, just in that last quarter of last year alone, were over $12 billion dollars. It's a huge amount of money. Now, I don't know about you, but I was raised with a healthy respect of, uh, of this guy. Anyone, anyone know? Um, is the TV not working? There he is. Okay. Uh, of this guy. I got scared there for a minute. Any, anyone know him? Yeah, good old Smokey the Bear. Um, yeah, so I was raised with a healthy respect for him. Only you can prevent forest fires. And I think a lot of us, we tend to assume that that these, these fires, they are all a result of human carelessness. Someone who tosses out a cigarette butt. No, no one smokes cigarettes anymore. They were vaping, right? So I guess our forest should be safe uh, now. But um, tossing out a cigarette butt or a bad boy scout who does not get his merit badge. Because he doesn't put out the fire the right way and, and other acts of carelessness. I, I actually found this that, um, or if it's not carelessness, it's Nazis. Um, this is a real propaganda poster from some point in our history. It's just amazing, isn't it? I just think, wow, that's that's motivating. You got uh, Germans and uh, Japanese, uh, their secret weapon of preventing. It's just crazy the things people do to get people to do what they want them to do, isn't it? Um, but you know, aside from all that, it's, it's mostly true, not the Nazi part, but it's mostly true that 90% of wildfires are started by human carelessness. But I think what happens is we come away with this idea that, uh, that we should prevent these things at all costs. Here's what's not intuitive for us. I think, as we're talking about this. The reason these fires have become so destructive in the last year even, may be, the very reason they've become so destructive, so deadly, so costly, may be because of how desperately we try to prevent them. Now, in human terms, it only makes sense to try to prevent destruction wherever you can. If you can prevent forest fires, do. Uh, if you can keep flooding from, you know, rivers from jumping their banks and flooding everything by building levees, sounds good to me. That's kind of how we think, right? If, if you can stave off disaster in any way, then you probably should. If you can prevent hardship, then you should. It just makes good sense. And that's how most of us think. That's how most of us live. And that's exactly the, the thinking of some people that we're going to encounter tonight from the Bible, a family. Um, a woman named Mary, her sister Martha, their brother Lazarus, um, so siblings. That's exactly how they fought a life, like we do. You know, stave off disaster if you can. Hold it back. If you can prevent it, please do. And, uh, and, and they had in their corner a secret weapon. They had Jesus. They were good friends with Jesus. We're not sure how they became acquainted, but they became very good friends. And so that's like having a, an insurance policy in your corner to prevent hardship in life if you've got Jesus, because he can do amazing things. It makes sense to make good friends with Jesus, and so life is going on for them, much like life goes on for us, and then one day Lazarus gets sick, and, um, and, and Mary and Martha, they do what I think a lot of us do would do if we were in their shoes. They don't call a doctor. They send for Jesus, Right? Like, don't go to the urgent care, because they may or may not be able to help you. But, but Jesus, he can, do, he can do miracles. Somebody go get Jesus, and Jesus is off teaching, and they send word, and Jesus gets word, and a few days go by, and Jesus doesn't show up. And they're thinking, where is he? And they're watching as Lazarus gets sicker and sicker and sicker, and, and here's this destructive illness that's threatening their brother's life, threatening their family, and, and Jesus could surely stop it. But where is he? And, and they wait, and he doesn't come. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And then Jesus finally comes. After Lazarus has already died, four days after he's been in the tomb, Didn't even make it to the funeral. Now you can imagine that at this point, they're feeling pretty hurt and pretty angry. And you can imagine because you've probably been in a similar circumstance where where disaster has been coming for you or you experienced it and and you weren't able to prevent it and you wanted to prevent it and you didn't have the power but you cried out to God because you know he has the power and you asked him to prevent this thing from happening to you and yet it came on you anyway and, and it's so confusing, isn't it? And it hurts and it'll make you angry and that's exactly what these women were encountering But but again, here's the thing. Maybe in trying to stop all the wildfires, we're actually missing something significant. I want to look at the rest of this story uh, out of Scripture. John chapter 11. You can look along on your uh, device or in the Bible here in the room or wherever you are. Or you can look along at the words here. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found, I already told you this, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four years days. I mean, and and he had received word while he was still sick, and, and he deliberately waited, and this is all so bizarre, and he gets there, and it's not even right after. Like, he's so late. He's been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany, the place where Lazarus and his sisters lived, was less than two miles from the big city of Jerusalem, and so because of that, many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. You know, just like we do today, except it was a much longer, bigger deal. Grief was a very communal affair, and people would gather around you to support you in your grieving. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary, the other sister, stayed at home. And I love how true to life the scriptures are. I mean, this is how we are in grief. We all deal with it so differently. Even people in the same family, you know, one stays there because she's, she's just, you know, hurt and stewing in her anger there. The other one is like, I'm gonna go talk to him before he even gets here. And, and this is what Martha does. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. See, I I love the honesty of this moment. Martha, she is angry. Now, Jesus, now you decide to come. We sent word to you days ago, and you could have been here, and and now you come now? It's too late, Jesus. If you would have been here, this could have all been different. She's angry, and yet she's hopeful. Do you see that? But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask, she says. And again, I think that's so true to life. When, when, you're, when you're dealing with disaster and tragedy and hardship, it's, it, it can make you angry. And yet sometimes as people of faith, we can still find hope in the middle of that anger. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's a good theology student. She's learned all of her stuff. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. If you haven't figured it out yet... In these midweeks during the season of Lent, we don't do midweeks all the time. We only do them for a few weeks, and we're going to be back here next week, 7 o'clock, and, and, and all the way until uh, Holy Week Easter. Um, but we're going, to, we're going to deal with this, this theme of I am. And, you know, if you're someone who wants to know more about who Jesus is because you've never learned, or maybe you're someone who it's been a while and you want to get reacquainted, or, or maybe you were taught about Jesus in a way that wasn't very compelling, and, and you didn't find him very winsome, and, and, and I'll tell you, that's not who Jesus is, and maybe you need to get reacquainted or newly acquainted, this is a great opportunity for you in the series because we're going to look at who Jesus is by his own words, his own claims. He makes these I am statements. And this is the first one. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm fine with the I am the life part. Can can we see that again? I'm, I'm fine with the I am the life part. Right, that Jesus is life, and in him is life, and, and, and we talk a lot about that here, and that sounds great to me, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Yes, in Jesus there's life, but this other part, the thing he says first, I am the resurrection, I want you to think for a minute about what that really means. See, if Jesus is the resurrection, that means, if he's the resurrection, you know what that means? That means that something has to die first. If he's the resurrection, that means that it's not just life moving forward in a in a great continuum continuum uninterrupted. But if Jesus is the resurrection, that means that that there will be tragedy and hardship and loss. There will be death. It is inevitable. See, see Jesus, right here is he's promising us he's promising us what life can can look like, even for those of us who trust him. And it's not all life all the time. But if it's resurrection, life that comes after things that are really, really hard. And and then he continues, he finishes up this way, he says, the one who believes in me, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And again, I I look at this and I go, yeah, the, the one who believes in me will live right on. But this other part, even though they die, I'm not so sure about that. I'm, I'm not so sure I like that. Why? why? Why does there have to be death? Why can't there just be life? Go back to wildfires. See, in all of our haste and some of you know this, you know, this idea that you know wildfires are bad. we should prevent them at all costs. Here's what we didn't understand that. Wildfires are a natural part of life. They're, they're, they're nature's way of doing certain things. Nature depends on them. So, so these periodic fires, they, they do things like stimulate plant growth, and they cause plant reproduction. And you learned this probably in second or third grade, that there's certain trees that only drop their, their pine cones, and those cones only open up under, under heat and warmth, and that's the only way those trees ever reproduce. They're, they're built to reproduce with fire. And not only that, but animals find their habitat after wildfires, and, and there's certain animals that, that require that for life. Um, but, but do you know this, that, that wildfires, what they do, periodic ones, they reduce all the forest vegetation, because if you don't have them every once in a while, all of that vegetation on the forest floor it just builds up, and it builds up, and it builds up, and then you know what happens when someone throws out a cigarette butt, or uh, lightning strikes, See, see if, if it doesn't clear out from time to time periodically, now you have a blazing inferno. Now you have a fire that is hotter and more dangerous and harder to contain than ever before. Do you got that? Because this is important, not about fire. It's not a science lesson. If you haven't gotten the metaphor yet, get this. Although fire is dangerous, it's painful, it causes destruction, just like things that come into our life. Trying to stop all of the wildfires. Only creates bigger problems. And we need to understand that right now as we move into the season of Lent, because that's where this thing ends. It, it ends in death, in tragedy, in hardship. But we ne- need to understand that in our journey, too, in life. See, one of the most confusing parts of the Christian faith is this call to die. And if you read the scriptures, it's, it's everywhere in the New Testament, especially in the mouth of Jesus. I'll show you an example. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, it, to me, it looks like Jesus is, is talking about himself. This is a, a prophecy about his own life. But then he goes on and he makes it bigger. In the next verse, he says, anyone, anyone, not just me, but anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, 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 why? Why does it have to be this way, Jesus? I mean, that's what Mary and Martha are wondering. Why does it have to be this way, Jesus? Why can't it just be life forever? Why can't we just go on? Why does there have to be all of this, all of this death? Why is it that in order to live, truly live, we must die. Well, for starters, because what's alive in you may actually be dangerous. Uh, If you've been in the southern parts of the United States, um, especially like in the southeast, you've seen kudzu. Have you seen that stuff all over the sides of the roads? Not maybe you didn't know what it was, but it's everywhere. It's this ground cover, vine-creeping stuff, and uh, it's, it's everywhere. And it kind of looks kind of pretty and green and verdant, but it's, it's, it's a parasite. It's threatening all of the ecosystem. Or around our parts, at least in my yard, you got that invasive honeysuckle. It's kind of pretty. We have it on our property line. keeps us from seeing into the neighbor's house until you realize that you can't get rid of it. It's everywhere. Again, it's a parasite. See, see in your life, there may be things that are growing, that are thriving, and yet those things they're alive but they're actually dangerous and they threaten they threaten your your life your, your true life your fullness your abundance see tonight i wonder if you can think of what some of those things may be it it may be some sort of struggle it may be some sort of um, you know sin issue in your life some sort of just unhealthy behavior but but man it's thriving or, or maybe it's something that seems more benign. maybe it's, maybe it's your ambition. What 's wrong with ambition? Not nothing, not necessarily anything, but, but maybe for you, that's the thing that is so alive in you and it 's made you successful and it's gotten you where you are in life and yet and yet if, if you 're honest with yourself tonight. You know that your ambition is also very dangerous. It may be the very thing that's killing you. Or what about your pride or your ego, any number of things. Can you look inside yourself tonight and see things that are alive, they're thriving, but they're dangerous? See, those things have to die. Or um, maybe part of the reason we have to die in order to live is because what's alive in you is good, but it's stagnant. Have you ever been to a really big old growth forest um, and the trees are so tall? And uh, you, you kind of walk in there and it's so majestic and you feel like you're in some secret land because you're, you're kind of in there and you're in all the trees and there's this giant canopy and it's so spectacular to be there. What you often don't realize there, though, is that those forests are on the verge of, of, of a whole collapse. Those trees are at the end of their life cycle. And because the canopy is so high and it's so full, nothing on the ground can grow. See, it could be that in your life there are things that have been good, and they've helped you grow, and they've caused you to thrive, and and they were good for a season, but now they they can't take you the rest of the way, and you're, you're, you're stagnant in your growth. You can't grow anymore. See, I wonder if tonight you can think of some of those things in your life. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's traditions, maybe it's uh, coping mechanisms, ways that you've tried to control or manage life. I mean, maybe in your faith there are even things that, that they, they worked for a while, they got you to a great place in your journey, but if you're honest, at where you are in your journey, you're just kind of stagnant. Nothing's happening in you. And, and maybe those things, even those good things, need to be allowed to die so that new life can come, so they can give way to new things. Uh, to live... You must die, finally, because what God has to give you is better than what you love. Now, Jesus' words back then, you know, if you love your life, you'll lose it. Those sound like cruel words at first, don't they? When I first heard those words, I I, kind of got this idea in my head that, like, I can never tell God anything that I love because if I tell him I love it, he's going to take it away. If I love my life, I'm going to lose it. Say you love it, he's snatching it out of your hand. Why would God ever do that, especially a loving God? Didn't make sense. Here's the reason God will only do that because He has to give you something better than what you love now. He knows you love it now, but He actually has something better, something you could love even more. Uh, take a look at this. Uh, this is called Blooming Fireweed. And uh, it's, it's a really pretty, you can see even better probably up there than over here. It's this really pretty pink. Um, flower that grows wild in the forest but it doesn't grow in any forest it grows in the acidic soil of forests that have experienced wildfires and there are numerous other flowers and, and forms of plants that do the same they only grow in the ashes they only grow in the soil of what has been lost see God is truly able to bring beauty from our ashes and sometimes that's the only way he can bring the beautiful things into our life that, 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 that we will love even more than what we have now. It just takes us learning to trust him and let go of the things that we have now because he can, he can bring something even more beautiful. See, see, at the end of the story with Lazarus, Lazarus comes back from the grave. He, he comes to life again. Mary and Martha get their brother back. And I guarantee you, Lazarus is changed forever. We don't know how, but, but you, you can't live through that and not be different. He didn't just come back to life. He came to a new way of living, I promise you. Tonight, can you trust Jesus? Can you trust Jesus to do the same for you? Can you submit to him? Can you submit even to this call to, to let him put things to death in you? Can, can you stop fighting the things that you fear, there are things in your life that you fear and you fear them because you feel like they're going to overtake you, that they're, they're devastating, that they're disasters in the making and you're afraid and you're crying out to God and, and you're begging him not to let that thing happen and, and that thing keeps happening and maybe you're hurt and you're afraid. Can you just stop fearing that thing and can you trust that, that God is capable, that that thing, it may be out of control for you, but, but, he, but he's got it in his capable hands? And tonight, can you begin to submit? And know that it's out, of, it's out of death, out of disaster that God brings life. See, that's what the season of Lent is kind of all about. And I said at the beginning, we never, we never do this in life. We celebrate good things and we gather around good things. But in the season of Lent, you know what we intentionally do? We, we, we live through this whole season and it's a season where he intentionally ask God to put us to death. Uh, we submit ourselves to God and, and say, hey, God, do a, do a controlled burn in my life. You know, have, have your way. Put to death in me anything that is, uh, that is dark, that is dying, that is, that is unhealthy. God, I just invite you to take it and, and, uh, and, and just have your way with it and and we invite God to do this whole uh, this whole controlled burn in us this thing's not burning as well as it's supposed to if you can't tell and when in life do we do this? Right? When, do, when, do we, when do we submit ourselves to pain? when do we invite it? when do we invite discipline? when, when do we do this? apparently not tonight either but um, you get the point and yet in the season of Lent, it's, 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 it's just this crazy thing that we do, but it's so necessary. I want you to see that it's so necessary. That in the season of Lent, we just say, God, I submit. And in a few minutes, you're going to come forward and, and you're going to have an opportunity to uh, to have ashes uh, rubbed on your forehead in the sign of a cross. It's such a weird thing. Why would we do that? Well, the historical reason is to remind us that dust we are and to dust we will return, that we are but dust. Humility, it's a a statement of repentance. Uh, Tonight I want you to think about this in a new way, a different way. As you come forward and again this is optional for you, it's at the end of the communion line, you can come through communion or you can just jump in and, and, and get at the ashes. Um, If you're on stream right now, you can try to burn stuff in your living room like I just did and uh, go to the fireplace, whatever it is. Uh, And and I'm serious about this because as you receive the sign of the cross, here's what I invite you to do. Maybe tonight, as you receive the sign of the cross, maybe tonight is the night where you finally surrender. You finally surrender to that that, that thing you've been trying to prevent and stave off in your life and, and you've been so afraid of it. Maybe tonight you just surrender and you say, God, I trust, I trust, I trust that you have this and you have me. And I'm not gonna live in fear anymore. Have your way. Or maybe tonight as someone makes a sign of the cross on your forehead in ashes, maybe that can be a moment where you actually invite God to help you see the things inside of you that need to be put to death. Or you just invite him in to begin to, put away those things that are stagnant or those things that are, are threatening to you or those things that just need to go to make way for something more beautiful, to take away the things that you love, to give you something even better. Can you trust God to do that? Maybe tonight if you can, you can just as that cross is made on your forehead, you can pray a prayer and just say, God, I invite you to put to death whatever you need to so that I might have life. You can just say that in your heart, say that in your mind, say it out loud, I don't care. But tonight you have an opportunity And the opportunity is not just to participate in some historic ritual. The opportunity is is to believe and trust the promises of God, the word of God. That sometimes we have to die in order to truly live. Let's get started right now in this way. Stand, please. And I want you to confess these words with me. Speak these together out loud. We are born in sinful flesh and soul, from dust and ash, unable to help ourselves, inadequate and destitute. Yet you desire faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught us wisdom in that secret place. Create in us a clean heart by your love and power. Place in us a new and right spirit and restore us to yourself. Take a moment and uh, personally ask God to do just that.